Based on all these 14 verses that we have just read in Hebrews in chapter 2, our message title for today is the humanity of Christ. The humanity of Christ. God became a man. As we heard in the introductory message through our brother David Aruda, the writer to the Hebrews had already made clear since chapter 1 that since Christ is God, he is superior to angels, especially since he created them. But why is there so much emphasis at the beginning of Hebrews? Why is there so much emphasis to, on the fact that Christ is greater than the angels? Isn't that obvious to all of us believers that Christ is superior, that Christ is greater than the angels? Well, believe it or not, among the Jews, among the Hebrews, there were certain Jewish communities who had engaged in the practice of worshiping angels. Paul the Apostle mentions that in Colossians in chapter 2, verse 18. He speaks negatively about the worship of angels. Some of them were even saying that the archangel Michael was superior to the Messiah. How could they possibly have come to that conclusion? Well, this was their thought. Man is lower than the angels. But if God in the incarnation became a man, then that man is lower than the angels. Did you follow that? Man is lower than the angels. But if God in the incarnation became a man, then that man, Jesus, even the Messiah, he must be lower than the angels. The writer to the Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he must address those heresies about worship of angels and about the wrong notion that the angels are superior to Christ. First, he does not deny that Christ did become lower than the angels, but he's quick to point out only for a little while. And he explains in these verses as to why that happened, as to why that was necessary. And he will also say, secondly, that now Christ has already accomplished his mission. And therefore, he is no longer at a status lower than the angels. But he has now regained his place of glory and honor at the right hand of the Father. And so he begins his argument to combat, to address those heresies in verse 5. Where he says, for God did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking. He begins, his arguing, he, he begins his argument by focusing on the world to come, on the future kingdom that God established on earth. His argument is simple, and it has two points. First, when God establishes his kingdom on earth during the 1,000 years of the millennium, who will be king? The Lord Jesus or an angel? The answer is obvious. Christ will reign, and he will be king of kings and lord of lords. And once Christ is installed as king during the millennium, who will receive authority to reign with Christ? We the saints, not the angels. Christ will reign, not Michael, not another archangel, but Christ will reign. And who will receive authority in that world in, during the millennium? We will receive authority, the saints, not the angels. He continues by saying how great it is, how glorious it is for us to think 
that God has prepared such an awesome future for each and every one of us, his saints. Who are we that God is mindful of us? And this is what he says in verses 6 and 7, as he says, But one has testified somewhere, somewhere, saying, What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. He's quoting Psalm 8 here. And he makes the point that God has made mankind, that God has made Adam and the mankind that came after him for a little while lower than the angels. What does that mean? I have heard preachers saying that that means that the angels are taller than us. They are eight foot tall, nine foot tall. But that is one of the most ridiculous statements anyone can make. That has nothing to do with how tall the angels are. It doesn't say that God has made us for a little while shorter than the angels. But it says that God has made us for a little while lower than the angels. It has nothing to do with height. It has to do with status. We were created for a little while with a lower status than that of the angels. And what does that mean? It means that we were created with physical bodies in a natural world. The angels were created with supernatural bodies, with spiritual bodies in a supernatural world. We are bound to earth. The angels are in heaven and earth. We have frail bodies. The angels are powerful creatures. We are mortals. We will experience death one day. The angels are immortals. They never die. So it is in that sense that we were created with a lower status than that of the angels. But notice he says we were made for a little while lower than them. That means that the time will come when we will no longer be lower than the angels. Why? Because we too will attain to spiritual bodies. We too will receive supernatural bodies. As the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, but when this perishable body we will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal body will have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. As the Lord Jesus says in Luke in chapter 20, verse 36, in the resurrection, we will be like the angels in heaven. No longer of a lower status than them, but we will be like the angels in heaven. In fact, as John MacArthur points out, we will be even at a, higher status, at a superior status than that of the angels. Why? Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And do you not know that we will judge angels? Therefore, we will even arrive at a position higher than them. That word judge means to rule, to, to pronounce a ruling over them. We, as the saints of God, we will receive authority from Christ to judge the nations. And we will receive authority from Christ to even judge the angels. Have you, believe, have you believed about this? Have you thought about this? Do you believe what the Bible is telling us? What a privileged position each and every one of us will attain in Christ Jesus in the world to come. We will be busy reigning with Christ in the millennium, judging the nations and judging the angels. Some way, somehow, when Christ reign here on this earth, we will be participating, having received delegated authority from the Lord to do so. 
The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20 verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. Who are they in this verse? It's you, it's me, it's we, it's the saints of God. We will be participating in that rulership of the earth with Christ. He confirms that in Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 and 27, when he says that he who overcomes, to him I will give authority to rule the nations. Now you may ask, how would that reinforce the argument that the writer to the Hebrews was trying to make to them? In this manner. In the end, in the millennium, when Christ will be reigning, and we will be reigning with Christ, God will then restore the rulership that he had planned for mankind, for his saints, since the beginning. When God created Adam, he put Adam in charge of the world. And this is what the writer to the Hebrews speaks next. What he says in verse 7 and 8, You, God, have crowned him, Adam, and the mankind that, that comes after him. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Correctly translated with lowercase h because it refers to Adam. It refers to us. It refers to human beings. He is quoting what God had promised since the beginning, since the first book. What would happen as God has revealed in the last book of the Bible, that we will be reigning with Christ, God had already revealed in the first book of the Bible that this should be so. The Bible tells us in Genesis in chapter 1, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule. Adam and the mankind that will come through him over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is the truth that the writer to the Hebrews is speaking when he says, for in subjecting all things to him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Everything was going to come under the rulership of Adam and mankind as it will be in the end, in the world to come, as he mentions, with Christ reigning in the millennium and we receiving authority to rule with Christ. In the beginning, this is what God had planned for mankind. A perfect world to be under the rulership of man. A perfect world that would happen when the millennium happens, when the lion is Lying at rest with the lamb. When the bear is eating grass with a cow. When a nursing child is playing with a cobra. But right now, we do not see that. And this is what he says. But now, we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Creation is not subjected to the dominion that God had intended for men to have in the beginning. Animals are not tamed. Diseases rage the human body. There is corruption in government. Judges can be bought through bribes. The world is not perfect. And certainly not according to what God had planned for man's rulership over this world that has become so imperfect. What happened? Even creation is crying out. As the apostle says in Romans chapter 8 beginning verse 19, creation is crying out for redemption. It's groaning. What happened? 
the fall of man happened. Sin happened. When Adam sinned, and with him, the entire human race sinned, God's plan for mankind's rulership over the world was interrupted, and it was interrupted by sin. Something needed to happen for us to be restored to that position of rulership that would happen in the world to come. That would happen when Christ is reigning and we will be reigning with him. Something needed to happen between Genesis and Revelation. Something needed to happen. And he says, right now, we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Because something needs to happen. We need salvation. We need salvation from sin. We need salvation from the effects of sin. We need a savior. And he says, right now we do not see yet all things subjected to him, but we do see him with capital H. We do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. He has laid the foundation for his argument. And he will now, he will not deny that indeed Christ was made for a little while lower than the angels. Now that he has explained the background, he will tell the Hebrews why that was so. Why that was necessary for Christ to become lower than the angels for a little while. He will give them the reasons. Jesus was lower than the angels for a little while. First, because he was the perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice. He says in verse 9, We do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Why? Because of the suffering of death. Because of the suffering of death. Remember, he's speaking to the Hebrews. He's speaking to the Jews. And they will be very familiar with the fact that people in the Old Testament, they would offer many sacrifices of the blood of animals so that their sins would be covered. But they would have to do that day after day after day because the blood of animals could only cover their sins and not erase them. But Christ came as the perfect sacrifice because he was the perfect lamb of God. Not to cover our sins and having to repeat it over and over again. But he came to erase our sins. In echoing the words of John the Baptist in John chapter 1 verse 29 where he says, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Christ became lower than the angels but only for a little while because in that time, he became the perfect sacrifice. But not only he had to become the perfect sacrifice, he also became lower than the angels because he was our substitute. As it says in verse 9, he became a little lower than the angels so that he might taste death for everyone. As sinners, we deserve death, but Christ died in our place. As the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, he, meaning God the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. We were deserving of eternal death, of eternal punishment for being sinners because of our sin that we inherited since Adam and Eve. 
But he stepped in. He took our place. He became the perfect sacrifice and he was our substitute. He took my place. He took your place. But Christ became lower than the angels for a little while also because of God's grace. Because of the grace of God. As it says in verse 9, he became a little lower than the angels so that by the grace of God, we did not deserve what Christ did for us. But God gives us salvation as a gift that we do not deserve. And that is the very definition of grace. A gift that we do not deserve. An unmerited favor. As the Bible says in Ephesians in chapter 2 in verse 8, By grace you have been saved. Through faith. And that is not of yourselves, but that is a gift of God. It is by his grace that we are saved. For this reason he became for a little while lower than the angels. To become our perfect sacrifice. To become our substitute. And that by the grace of God. But now going out. God has completed the plan of salvation through what Christ did for us. And now that the plan of salvation has been completed, he is no longer lower than the angels. That he is no longer of a little status lower than the angels. No, because now he is crowned with glory and honor. That is the key statement in this passage. That is the key statement in his argument. That Christ had to become lower than the angels. But now, in other words, that little while period is over. Christ has regained his place of prominence. Christ has, he, he has regained his place of glory. He is crowned with glory and honor today and forevermore. The Bible tells us in Philippians in chapter 2, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That little while period is over. Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is greater than all. Blessed be his holy name. He has made his argument. He has made his point. Christ is greater. And I want you to see, now that he has established that Christ is greater than angels, that Christ is greater than all, and has given them the first three reasons why that happened, he says, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things. Who is he that he's speaking about here in this verse? It was fitting for him. He's speaking of God the Father. He's saying that, it was fitting for God the Father, for whom are all things and through whom are all things. Everything was created by the Father. Everything was created for the glory of God. Everything was created through him. And why is this relevant in, in the argument that he has just concluded, that Christ is crowned with glory and honor? Because of what he had already said in chapter 1, when he said, God in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. In other words, all things were created through God. And he also says that all things were created through Christ. He makes Christ equal with God. No longer lower than angels. No longer lower than anyone. He is at a, pl at a place of glory and honor. 
Christ is equal with God. Christ is God. And he continues to say, It was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things, God the Father, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. He says that it was fitting for the Father in bringing many sons to glory. Now that Christ has completed his sacrifice and the plan for our salvation, it was fitting for God to bring many into his glory. What does that mean? It means that now, after death, we are no longer doomed to eternal perdition. But God, by his grace, through the plan that Christ was able to accomplish in his own flesh, by his own sacrifice for us, God now, after death, he can bring us into his presence by making us his sons and daughters to be in the glory of his presence, to be in the glory of salvation. And not only God, he makes us his sons and daughters as we are in his presence in glory, as we experience salvation. The Bible says that it was fitting for him to perfect the author of our salvation through sufferings. God perfected Christ through his sufferings on the cross. What does that mean? That Jesus was not perfect before he suffered? Of course not. Jesus was, he is, and always will be perfect. What this means is that he needed to go through the sufferings of the cross, not to become perfect, but to display the perfection that he already had. He needed to display that perfection in his humanity while being a human being in our place. Because as a human being in his humanity, he was tempted in every possible way. And yet he never sinned. He remained perfect. He never disobeyed the Father, but he always fulfilled the will of the Father. He always said yes to to what God wanted him to do. He was perfected in that sense that he never failed, but he remained perfect even as a human being. The Bible says, beginning in verse 11, for both he, Christ, who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. The Lord Jesus is the one who sanctifies us by having sent his Holy Spirit to us, the Holy Spirit who abides within us. And it says, Christ who sanctifies us, and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. That expression, those who are sanctified, in the original Greek, it it refers to an action already completed in the past. Those who have already been sanctified. It is not speaking of progressive sanctification that you and I as believers, we experience each and every day. Because we are not perfect right now, but we are growing in Christ-likeness through the process of progressive sanctification. We are growing each and every day until we get to glory, until we get to heaven. What he is speaking here is of a sanctification that has already been completed. In other words, he's speaking of justification, of an action that has already been completed in the past. We are saints in the eyes of God. Conditionally, here in time, here on earth, we are being sanctified. But positionally, we are already saints. We are no longer sinners. We are saints in the eyes of God. And for that reason... He who sanctifies us, Christ Jesus our Lord, and those, of, and those of us who are already saints in the eyes of God, we all have the same Father. And we cannot lose that salvation. That action has already been completed in the past in the eyes of God. We are saints. And for that reason, 
the Bible says, for which reason Christ is not ashamed to call them, to call us brethren, to call us his brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Christ is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters because salvation has been accomplished. Once we repent of our sins and receive Jesus as our Savior, we cannot lose it. We are saints. We have been adopted into the kingdom of God. We belong to the Father. We have the same Father as Christ Jesus our Lord. And do you know when was the first time that Christ called his disciples brothers? It is in Matthew 28, verse 10, where the Bible says, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. The first time that Christ referred to the disciples as his brothers was after his resurrection. Because after his resurrection, salvation was guaranteed. The plan of salvation was guaranteed. He died for us, but he had to rise from the dead as a guarantee of our salvation. Now we can no longer lose it. Once we repent of our sins and confess Christ as our Savior, we are saints of God. We belong to the same Father. And the Bible says, beginning in verse 14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself... Christ himself likewise also partook of the same. Notice that he says, therefore, he brings his argument once again to a place of conclusion. He had already given them three reasons why Christ was made lower than the angels for a little while. Because he was our perfect sacrifice, because he was our substitute, and because of God's grace. And now, as every good teacher does, he reinforces his argument. He's going to give them yet three more reasons why Christ became lower than the angels. He's reinforcing his conclusion that Christ now has been crowned with glory and honor. But he will remind them once again as to why Christ, for a little while, needed to be made lower than the angels. Because since the children sharing flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. In other words, because he is the perfect man. Christ, he came to be our perfect sacrifice, to be our substitute. But for him to be truly our substitute, he needed what? He needed to become one of us. He needed to become a human being. And that is what the Bible tells us in Philippians in chapter 2, where it says, But Christ emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man. He became a human being, but he was the perfect and sinless human being to become our perfect sacrifice and our substitute. And continuing, verse 15, he says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death... He might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Him the perfect man, so that he could die in our place. So that he could defeat the one who had the power of death. What does it mean in the Bible when it says that the devil had the power of death? 
Does it mean that the devil could kill anyone he wanted? Of course not. Remember Job chapter 2 verse 6, where God said, where God explicitly prohibited Satan from killing Job? God determines when anyone dies, not Satan. In fact, in that book of Job in chapter 14, we read this. Man who is, who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, with God. And his, you have set so that he cannot pass. God determines when anyone dies, not Satan. God has already set how much sand you have in your hourglass. When God says so, that's when your time is up, not Satan. So in what sense does the Bible say that the devil had the power of death? It is speaking to those words of Christ in John in chapter 8 in verse 44, where the Lord says, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. He was a murderer from the beginning. Because since the beginning, he seduced, he enticed, and he motivated Adam and Eve to sin. And once this couple sinned, what happened? Romans 5.12 happened, as the Bible says. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death is spread to all men because all sinned. Once the devil was successful to make the first couple to commit sin, all mankind now became subject to death, sin. All mankind became subject to death because of sin. The devil is said to have had the power of death because of that reason. Not because he determines when anyone dies, but because he continues to entice people to sin. And when people sin and remain in their sin, when people die, they are doomed to eternal death. They are doomed to eternity separated from God. For this reason, Christ came to defeat him who had the power of death, to be our perfect sacrifice, to be our substitute, to die according to God's grace, but he could not simply stop there in being a perfect man dying for us, but he needed to defeat the devil through his resurrection because his resurrection would prove that death and sin no longer has power over the souls of those who put their faith in Christ Jesus, their Lord. Christ has defeated the one who had the power of death, not because people no longer die. Unfortunately, as we all know, people continue to die. And unfortunately, they continue to die, many without salvation, go into a Christless eternity. However, Christ has defeated the devil, the one who had the power of death, because now death no longer has power over our souls if we trust in Jesus as our Savior, if we repent of our sins. Once we confess him as our Savior, once we receive what the Lord has done for us, dying for us at Calvary's cross, the power of death no longer has any power, any dominion, any right, any claim to our souls. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, that for this reason the Son of God was manifested. For this reason Jesus manifested himself to destroy the works of the devil. The Lord defeated 
at the power of death. The Bible tells us in Romans in chapter 6, for the wages of death, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those who die in their sin will still be recompensed in having their souls possessed by the power of eternal death. But for those of us who confess Jesus Christ as our Savior, our recompense is a free gift, not of eternal death, but of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he continues to say, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject all their lives, were subject to slavery all their lives. The Bible is clear that those who do not have Christ, those who are living their lives without God, they are subject to being slaves to the fear of death all their lives. Did you know that? Whether people want to admit or not, I rather trust the Bible. And the Bible says that those without God are forever shackled to the slavery of fear, the fear of death. Three years ago, in 2019, Statista, a consumer and marketing data company, they conducted a survey. And the survey had this one question. Are you afraid of death? What do you think the results were? The results were this. 7% of the people said, well, I don't know if I am afraid of death. Then 25% said, I'm not afraid of death at all. 27% said, yeah, I am a little afraid. But the vast majority, 42% said, yes, I am very afraid. As you can see, almost 70% simply confirmed what the Bible had already revealed, that people are afraid of death. And I suspect that those who said they didn't know, they just did not want to admit that they are scared to death, yes. And I think that the, among the 25% that said, I'm not afraid of death at all, there has got to be some Christians in that survey. But the vast majority is simply confirming what the Bible had already said, that people are afraid of death. One person even said this, I am so scared of death, sometimes I wish I wasn't even born. Another person said this, I have a very strong fear of death. I'm not religious, and I do not believe in the soul. What can help me with this fear? This person is asking the wrong question. It's not what can help me, it's who can help me. Only Christ Jesus, he is the one who delivered us from the fear of death. As the Bible says, that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Christ has given us freedom from that slavery to the fear of death. Because now he has placed his Holy Spirit within us that gives us the assurance, that gives us the confidence, that gives us the certainty that we belong to God. And we no longer are slaves of the spirit of fear. But now we have the spirit of God abiding within us. The Bible says in Romans in chapter 8, For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again. 
But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. We are no longer under the slavery to the fear of death. Since the moment at salvation when the Holy Spirit of God comes to abide within us. He has set us free. We no longer are afraid to die. But as the apostle says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 21. For us to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's profit. It's a promotion. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God indeed abides within you and has set you free from the fear of death. I pray that one day you have repented of your sins and confessed Christ, the only one who can save you, so that indeed you have that assurance, that blessed assurance within your heart that you are saved and belong to him. It is the Spirit who testifies within us, not because you walked down an aisle or prayed a prayer or even that you were baptized. What matters is how the Spirit is being fruitful in your life. What matters is how the Spirit has changed you has changed your behavior, has changed your attitude, has changed your mouth. The Spirit of God is the one who gives you that conviction that now there is no reason for us to be afraid to die because we belong to Christ. He says, because he fulfilled God's promise. That is another reason why Christ was made for a little while lower than the angels. He fulfilled God's promise. As he says in verse 16, but assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. He says, speaking to Hebrews who would know the Old Testament, that Christ had to be made for a little while lower than the angels, yet for this reason as well, because he came fulfillment of God's promise, covenant promise to Abraham, that through him many descendants will come and many families of the earth will be blessed especially through the birth of one promised descendant, the Messiah himself, who would bless the families of the earth. Through him, we will become descendants of Abraham, not according to the flesh, but we are all in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are descendants of Abraham by faith. And notice that he says, Christ did not, he does not give help to angels, but he gives to those of us who belong to him by faith. That word help has to do with having become one of them. His point here is that Christ, he did not become an angel to save the fallen angels. But he became a human being to save human beings. There is no salvation for Satan and his demons. As the Lord says in Matthew chapter 25 verse 41, that hell has already been created for Satan and his angels. There's no salvation for them. But for us, for this reason, he was made for a little while lower than the angels so that he would become a human being to save us fallen human beings. And lastly, he says, Christ had to become lower than a little while because he is the perfect high priest. He says in verse 17, therefore... Christ had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. 
Again, remember, he is speaking to the Jewish people, and they would certainly understand the notion of the high priest as the one who would offer sacrifices, as the one who would represent the people before God. In this letter to the Hebrews, we see a high priest being mentioned 17 times, and we don't see a high priest being mentioned in no other letter to the churches in the New Testament. A high priest is mentioned in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. But from Romans to Revelation, we don't see a high priest mentioned except in Hebrews. Because he knew that they would understand that concept that Christ was made lower than the angels. In his incarnation, in his humanity, to become the perfect sacrifice, to become the perfect high priest. In which Christ would be sacrificing not an animal, but he would be offering as a sacrifice himself. His own body. His own person. And he would do that, why? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. He would satisfy the wrath of God in his own body, taking our place for our salvation. And he says that Christ is a merciful and faithful high priest. He was a faithful high priest. Why? Because he did not say no to the Father. But he accepted his place as a propitiation to satisfy the wrath of the Father in himself. As the Bible tells us in Romans in chapter 3. Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Christ asked the Father, if it were possible, for him not to take the cup. But in the end, he said, not my will, your will be done. He was a faithful high priest who did not deny the will of the Father, but he complied with what the Father wanted him to do. He was a faithful priest, and not only that, he was also a merciful priest by what the Bible tells us in our last verse. As it says, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. He is a merciful priest because he suffered as a human being. Absolutely nothing that you can go through in this life experienced already even more while he was a human being here on this earth in his humanity. He is merciful. As the Bible tells us in Hebrews in chapter 4 in verse 15, he can sympathize with us because he has suffered all that he has suffered. There is nothing that you can possibly go through that Christ doesn't sympathize with you because he has suffered pain and affliction like no one can imagine. He is a merciful high priest. He knows what you're going through. The writer to the Hebrews has made his argument. He has given them six reasons, undeniable reasons, why Christ was made lower than the angels for a little while. But in the end, his key statement is, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, but now, he is crowned with glory and honor. After ascending to heaven, Lord Jesus, he remained and he maintained his humanity. Now he is a glorified human being, yet he never ceased to be God. Christ is the only He is the God-man. The God-man. He is fully God and he is fully man. Let us pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your plan of salvation, for the grace and for the mercy that you have bestowed upon our lives, Lord, in understanding the plan of your salvation through what your Holy Spirit has done in our lives to give us the conviction that indeed we were sinners and deserving of eternal death. But we praise you, Lord, for the time when you enlightened our eyes and we were able to understand that Christ in his humanity, he became the perfect lamb of God to take away, our, to take away all our sins. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy. And I pray, Lord, that if there is anyone either watching this service, listening to this sermon, or even here right now in this room, I pray that your Holy Spirit would somehow minister to them. Despite any other opposition, we pray that your name will be glorified so that their souls will come to a place of salvation. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen.